You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. All right. It's good to be back together with you all. A little different setting, a little brighter in here. It's good to see you all again. And just to acknowledge we're in a challenging time as a church. But here's what's true. Here's what will never change. We're here to worship Jesus. That's the one reason we're here. And it's the only reason we're here. All of us are sitting in this room because of Jesus. We know each other because of Jesus. It's Jesus that brought us together. And so we're going to worship Jesus tonight. And we're going to continue on in our series we've called Friendship with God. And we're walking verse by verse through John 13 to 17. And tonight we're going to talk about the peace of Jesus. The peace that Jesus gives his disciples and that he gives all of us. And this is needed because they're about to enter into troubling times. I try to keep reminding us, this whole section, I and mean, we've been doing this for a couple months now, it's all happening on the night of Jesus' arrest and execution. He's teaching all of this to his disciples. Their world is about to be turned upside down and they don't get it. They can't see it. Jesus, knowing this, gives them perhaps his greatest teaching. He's equipping them to not just survive as his followers, but to thrive and to begin a worldwide global movement that would start with just a few hundred people and would grow to what it is today where a few billion people all over the world worship Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the power of John 13 to 17. It's the power of Jesus. And tonight he's talking about the peace. We're going to close uh, John chapter 14. And this in some ways is kind of his climax as he talks about the peace that he gives us. And so we're going to talk about what does that mean. But let me just say, peace here has rich Old Testament roots. It's the Hebrew word shalom, which you've probably heard. It means wholeness. It means uh, a a harmony. It means welfare. It's it's not just the absence of conflict. It can be that, but it's this sense of wholeness, reconciliation, oneness with God. And this is what Jesus offers us. And it's this peace that will carry the disciples through their trials. And it's this peace of Jesus that will carry us through the trials that we all face. And so as we look at the whole structure of John 14 to 16, the main teaching part, he begins it and ends it with the same thought. Verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. He says, Believe in God, or you have believed in God, believe also in me. And then he ends his teaching with 16.33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. There's our word. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's the truth. We live in a fallen and broken world. And Jesus gives us peace because we need peace. Because we will experience trouble. And the reality is we are in a spiritual war. That's why we need peace. So Jesus gives us his peace as the only source of power to the one we worship and love. And so we're going to be in John 14, verses 27 to 31. I'd encourage you to go there in your Bibles, follow along on your app or wherever that is. I want you to see it for yourself. Let me pray for us, and then we'll begin walking through John 14 here. Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you for your son. I thank you for the peace that you give. 
I pray for the peace that passes understanding tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray you would come and minister to us. Just give us a sense of your love, of your nearness, of your sovereign power. Help us lay it all down to you, Lord. You are the one. So we give you this time. We ask you to work and minister and change us, Lord. We pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. So Jesus has been he's been walking through John 14, uh, uh, giving these different concepts and building upon it. And last time, uh, if you've been following on, I talked about this idea of this union with Christ, that God himself is living in us if we believed in Jesus. And him uh, dwelling inside of us is something that changes how we relate to God, how we can exist in the world. And we said, if you want to experience more of God's love and more of God's presence in your life, Jesus said, you have to love me and you have to follow me. It really is that simple. And then he ends that section in verses 25 and 26. He says this, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And I said, this is part of the role of the Holy Spirit. As he's dwelling inside of us, he's bringing to mind God's word. He's imparting God's presence to us and giving us a sense of his purpose in our life. And so we pick it up in verse 27 here. Let me read the whole thing and then we'll kind of walk through it. So John 14, 27 to the end. He says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And so the first thing he says here, peace of Jesus. He says two things, peace I leave with you, but then he says something even more emphatic, my peace I give to you. Like, think on that for a second. The peace that Jesus had with the, the Godhead, with the Trinity, he's giving that to us, okay? That sense of community, of union with God, he's giving that to us. And notice he says, not as the world gives do I give. Well, let's ask the question, how does the world give peace? And how is it different from how Jesus gives peace? Well, how does the world give peace? The world gives peace when there is no peace, the world promises peace that it can't offer us. Again, that sense of fulfillment and, and shalom and oneness, the world can't give you that. It only comes from Jesus because it's deeper than just the things we can see. There's a spiritual need. And so the world promises us peace with all the things that it promises us, entertainment and money and wealth and prestige and all these things, but it will never satisfy. It will never go down deep enough because we need something more than what we can see. We need God himself to save us. Secondly, the world's peace, and we see this a lot in our day, but we also see it in the Old Testament, denies that God is ever going to come and judge evil. Okay, this is something we don't like to talk about. 
You read the Old Testament and the people of Israel time and time again, they're rebelling against God and God graciously sends them prophets and says, come back to God, repent, tear down the false idols, tear them down in the high places, come back to me. That's what God's heart is to bring us back to himself. But at the same time, false prophets were coming in, specifically in the time of Jeremiah, where Jerusalem was about to be taken. And they're saying, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be fine. God's judgment isn't coming. And Jeremiah says, no, it's coming. Get out of the city. And so it's the same for us. We need to, to wrestle with the reality that the day will come when we will all stand before the throne of Christ. And we will make an account for our life. And we will either say, I'm with Jesus. He's covered me. Or we'll face the most terrible news we could have ever experienced. We don't want to talk about that. But it's true because the Bible says it's true. And what Jesus is doing here, and he's always doing this, he's trying to lift our eyes and lift the eyes of the disciples off their current circumstance to see that there's a divine story playing out. What's going on is far bigger and greater than you could ever imagine. He wants to lift our eyes off of our circumstances into what God is doing. And that day when God will judge the righteous, those who have faith in Jesus. And so if we really believe that, and I'm coming to believe that more and more, and I know it's hard to believe, it changes how you live. I don't know if you, I'm surprised some football fans in here or some other sports fans, okay, I don't know if your, your, your team has ever been in an important game, um, like my team lost the Super Bowl last year, and uh, that's a terrible feeling, right? Don't you hate that? When your team loses, I mean, you're so invested. I mean, it's, it's probably not healthy. You're just destroyed. And I thought, wow, that feeling times 10,000 is what's going to be for people on that day that realize that Jesus was true and that Jesus was the only way. So we got to feel that. And the disciples had to feel that. That's why they lived the way they did. That's why they evangelized. That's why they laid down their lives, because they believed Jesus' words. And so the world says, don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen. Jesus says the day is coming. I mean, you can't get too far in the New Testament about somebody talking about the day of Christ. It's coming. The second way the world gives peace, you can think about this era, uh, era that was happening in the Roman Empire, what's called the Pax Romana, right? Roman peace. How did the Romans bring peace? They brought it through the sword, through conquest, through domination through dictatorship. But the way of Jesus is one of surrender. It's one of submission. It's one of sacrifice. That's the peace that Jesus gives us. So let's talk about this peace of Jesus. And there's an initial peace and an ongoing peace that we receive. And the initial peace is simply this. It's atonement for sin. That's the peace of Jesus that he gives us. He pays the price for our sin. That's what separated us from God. And he, and, he, and he reconciles us to him. He pays the price. The Father turned his face away from him on the cross. And he gives us his peace, that relationship, that reconciliation. Isaiah 53, 5, written 700 years before Jesus lived, says this. And he's talking about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And listen to this. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. We get peace because Jesus died, because Jesus bled, because Jesus paid for our sin. In the last verse, and with his wounds, we are healed. And it's interesting in the New Testament, the word for healing and salvation are often used interchangeably. 
By his wounds, we are saved. By his wounds, we are healed. This is the peace of Jesus. First and foremost, it is the atoning sacrifice of Christ. It's the gospel. It's the very center of the gospel. But once we receive that forgiveness, once we receive that reconciliation, now we are in a relationship with God and we are living out the peace of God in our lives. That Christ himself is our peace. That as Philippians says, we can have that peace that passes understanding because we can know that we're in relationship with God. And that's what this whole section is about. Jesus is talking about friendship with God, union with Christ. This is what it looks like. We've, we've been reconciled to him. Now, what does it look like to live out that reconciliation? Well, it's a relationship. It's a friendship. That's why Jesus is talking about what does that mean that I'm in the Father and you're in me and I'm in you? There's something mystical, mysterious, profound and powerful happening. And so often we don't step into it. We don't live into it. But the truths here are, they're amazing things to live by. And so the peace of Jesus is given to us. And so it's not unlike a marriage, right? You get married, there's a ceremony, there's a one-time, an initial thing, but then you're enjoying the benefits of marriage, amen? You're living that out. Same thing when I joined the military. There was a day I took the oath of office. And then I lived out my relationship with the military. That's what it's like. We get the peace of God, and then we're living in the peace of God. And it's so interesting, just a couple chapters later in John uh, chapter 20, what's the first thing Jesus says to his disciples after the resurrection? Peace be with you. He says it three times in John. And then you read the New Testament letters, and almost every single one of them has this greeting, grace and peace be with you. That is how central Peace is, shalom, wholeness, reconciliation is to the gospel message. That's why I think this is the climax of John 14, John chapter 14. He ends it with this, peace, it's all about peace. My peace I give you. But then he goes on, the second half of verse 27. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now this is the same thing he said at the beginning of chapter 14. Okay, 14.1, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, or you have believed in God, believe also in me. Trust in God, trust also in me. So this is kind of how structurally he's enclosing this message. This is how we know he's about to change subjects. 27, let your hearts not be troubled. Same thing, and then he adds to it, let them neither be afraid. So why does he say that? Why does he say don't be troubled? Why does he just say don't be afraid? Well, because they're about to go through a lot of trouble. 1633 says, you will experience affliction and tribulation in this life. Sometimes it will happen to you. Sometimes it will be a result of your sin. Sometimes it will be a natural disaster. We will experience affliction and tribulation. And what we desperately need is the peace of Jesus. Now he says, don't be troubled. He says, don't be afraid. Now the word for afraid here is not the normal word for fear in the New Testament. Phobos, from which we get phobia. It's the word for cowardice. He's saying, don't be troubled. Don't be a coward. Don't be fearful. What's the opposite of cowardice? Well, it's courage. That's why he says in 1633, take heart or take courage. I have overcome the world. That is our source of strength and courage. That is how we don't uh, uh, be afraid and live troubled lives. You say, okay, but really, but how do we do that? When, when, when the time comes and we find ourselves suffering in some situation, what does this look like? Well, he tells us two things in the rest of 14 here. Number one, he tells us to understand where I'm going 
And number two, he says, trust in the Father's plan. Let's look at verse 28. He says, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. So he's constantly telling them all throughout this teaching, I'm going, I'm going. Where's he going? I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to come back. I'm coming back. And he says, I'm telling you this so that you're going to believe. We'll say that in a moment. Then he says this, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. You say, what, what, what is he talking about? Now, let me just dispel this sense that the Father is greater. Uh, there's heresies that have arisen out of this verse because some will take it to mean Jesus is somehow less than divine. Well, that's not what it's saying. We know elsewhere in the New Testament, even in John, as we saw a couple weeks ago, that Jesus clearly claimed to be God. So that can't be what this means. So some commentators take it to mean, well, Jesus in his incarnate state was less than God the Father. It seems reasonable. But it's, I think it's more so in the sense that the one who sins is greater than the one who is sent. Okay, Jesus willingly submits to the Father. Okay, in that sense, the Father is greater. And uh, John, I think it's John Murray's great book, The Atonement, he captures it this way. The Father plans the atonement, the Son accomplishes the atonement, and the Spirit applies it. That's kind of how the Trinity is working together. So it's in that sense that the Father is greater than Jesus, but they are equally divine, equally God, all part of the Trinity. Now, let me say this, because I think there's another sense here. He says, if you loved me, you would rejoice. And what is he saying? I think he's saying this. If you understood where I'm going, you'd rejoice. If you understood that I am going to be back home with God the Father in the presence of God, where there's no sin and no suffering and no death, you'd rejoice for me. And that's how Christians throughout the, the centuries have looked at death. We can actually celebrate it. Because once you die, whew, everything's better. The people that you know who have trusted in Jesus and have passed away, let me tell you, they're more alive now than they ever were. And more alive than you are. And so there's, this is the great Christian hope. If you knew where I was going, you would rejoice. And it reminds me of Paul in Philippians 1, 21, I think it is. He says something similar. He says, look, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's the same idea. It's far better to be with the Father than to stay here in this fallen and broken and sin-affected world. If you knew, if you loved me, you'd rejoice. But here, here's the wonderful thing. It's not just that he's going. He said in John 14, 3, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This is the great truth of the gospel for us. We too will enter into that state, the new heavens and the new earth, when the heaven and earth become one again and sin is done with. And we will experience unimaginable joy and unimaginable glories and songs that we can't imagine and colors that we've never seen and joy unspeakable. This is what awaits us in Jesus. And in the New Testament, we're, they're constantly trying to get us to, to lift our eyes up to the things of heaven, Colossians 3. Put your eyes to things above, not below. Don't focus on your circumstances because there's a glory that awaits us. Paul says in Romans 8 that we are being prepared for, uh, for glory through our suffering. If we saw this and lived this way, it changed the way we live. We would gladly lay down our lives 
as many of the early Christians did, and, and all over the world today people are, because we believe what the, what the Word of God says, that glory awaits us. And it's kind of like going on vacation, right? I mean, millions of people come to Orlando every year to, to vacation, go to Disney, Magic Kingdom, all that stuff, right? Let me ask you, is it better to, to plan to go on vacation or actually be on vacation? It's better to be on vacation, right? Now, what keeps you going? Well, you know the plan. We're going there at Christmas time. It's coming. Let's just get through this work schedule and get through this season. You're anticipating what's coming. And then you get there and you realize it's not heaven, right? It's hot. Everything's expensive. Your kids are crying. But you get the point. Vacation. It's better to be on vacation. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't lose sight of what is coming for all of us. It changes how we live. It gives us a hope. It fuels our passion for evangelism and discipleship. Why would we do that? Not just because of the horrors of hell, but because of the glories of heaven. You want others to experience that. I mean, think of all the best things that we experience in this life. Magnify. I've said this before. If you believe in Jesus, this life is as close to hell as you'll ever get. Amen. If you don't believe Jesus, this life is as close to heaven as you will ever get. That really changes things, doesn't it? So what are we living for? Why is Jesus telling his disciples all this? As I said, they got a mission to carry out. And we see it in the book of Acts. We see them living this out. Fearless. So we got to understand where he is going and ultimately where we're going. This is how we live less troubled lives, less fearful lives. And number two, got to trust the Father's plan. John 14, 29 to 31. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Okay? When it comes to pass, when I go and I come back, you will believe. Your faith will be increased. Verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. What's he saying? Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen. I mean, he's predicted it. The prince of this world, okay, Satan is coming. Right back in John 13, it says, Satan filled Judas's heart. Judas goes off to betray Jesus. And notice it says right at the end, it says, rise, let us go from here. You know what I think is happening there is, where's the most likely place for Judas to take that guard? The last place Jesus was, the upper room. I think Jesus knows they're approaching and it's time to go because he's not done teaching yet. So they rise and they leave and they're on their way to Gethsemane and Jesus has more to teach and we'll see in John 15, 16. But the point is he knows what's happening. Satan is under God's control and this is part of God's plan and so often we don't understand God's plan because it involves suffering and pain. But look what Jesus says. He, he says, here's why I'm going. I do what the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. You see, Jesus doesn't do anything he didn't do himself. He doesn't ask us to do anything he didn't do himself. He says, trust me, submit to me, follow me, just as I do my Father. I'm submitting to his plan. And what was his plan? Crucifixion and resurrection. Death and resurrection. That was the plan of God. God the Father for Jesus the Son to come and to reconcile, to pay the price and to bring us to God so that, so that we could live differently. That we could live with the peace of God. And here's the point. Here's the encouragement. 
in Christ, after death, there's always a resurrection. There's never a resurrection in Jesus. I'm sorry, there's never a death in Jesus without a resurrection. Think about that. Think about that hope. That means physically, if you die or someone you love has died, as I said, they're more alive now ever than they've ever been. But it's also talking about the death of sin in our lives. There's a resurrection of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, of righteous living, of holy uh, passion for God. Dying to our plans and our desires and the things we think is best. Why? Resurrection's coming. There's a better plan. This is the point. God's way is better. Jesus is saying, trust the Father's plan. I know Satan's coming. I know what I'm about to go through. Hebrews 12 says, I, says that Jesus endured the cross for what? The joy set before him. Resurrection's coming. That's our hope. We can live resurrected lives. That's how we don't live lives that are troubled or racked by fear and anxiety. Why? We know where we're going. We know how it ends. We know the end game. And we can choose to trust him. We got to say that. We got to lay it down every day and say, God, I trust you. I don't understand. I don't know. Why is this happening? I trust you. I give it to you. And you'll experience that peace of God. Because fear wants to keep us focused on what's before us. And so this is the promise. Resurrection always follows death. Amen. So Jesus has said, in summary, I give you my peace. That's the foundation of everything. And you will live in that relationship with me and with the Father. He said, because of that, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be a coward. Don't be fearful. Understand where I'm going. Understand where you're going. And let's trust the Father's plan and watch him work. So how do you do this? You got to choose it. Right? God gave us a will. We got to choose it. We do that in prayer. You think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's on the way there. Not my will, but yours. He says, if any other way, God, if there's any other way, but not my will, your will be done. We got to choose it. We got to say it. We got to pray it together. Your will be done, Lord. As we'll see in 15, we got to abide in Jesus, which means abiding in his word, meditating on his word, specifically the new heavens and the new earth, like the, the divine story that's playing out and lifting our eyes to our circumstances and to what God is doing, right? That old song, turn your eyes to Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. We got to choose to do that. We've got to choose to do that. And if we don't know how to do that and we're struggling with that, we say, God, give me the power. Give me the Holy Spirit. Help me shift my focus. And he will. That's a promise in Luke eleven thirteen. 13. And finally, we've got to trust, trust in the Father's plans and be looking for resurrection in your life. Okay? There's a great book by Paul Miller called The J-Curve. It's phenomenal. And he talks about what does it mean to, to live lives that are, that are dying and rising with Christ? And he talks about these different elements of what that can look like in your life. And it's such a helpful and profound read. It really puts flesh on what does this mean to die to my desires and to watch God do something I could have never imagined. And it's all over the Bible, by the way. 
Right? You read the stories of scripture and it doesn't look good for people. And then God moves and does something because he loves us. And so we just need to come to him. We need to seek him. We need to ask him. So that's the call here as, as Jesus closed up John 14. So let me just do just a summary here of the entire chapter. I think we have a, a slide here. Um, because John 15, he, he takes a turn. He starts talking about what does this mean now to bear fruit in a fallen and broken world? What does that look like? So here's what we've seen in John 14. He says, I am going to the Father via the cross and resurrection. You can see verses up here. He says it multiple times. Number two, I will come back to you and I will take you to be with me. Okay, that's the promise. Number three, trusting me is the only way to God because I am both God and man. And here's what trusting me means. It means doing the works that I do, John 14, 12. Praying in my name, loving me and doing what I say, and living out this reality, this union with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And as we've seen today, receiving this peace, this reconciliation, and, and living lives of courage by trusting God's plan as demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, when we live this way, we'll begin to bear fruit for the kingdom. We're going to talk about that next time. So if you would stand, let me pray for us, and we'll continue to worship. Father, I thank you for your word here. I thank you that you have died for us, that we might live as we saw. We live because you live. And so, God, I pray that you would minister to us as we continue to respond and think on these things, even as we leave later tonight. God, that we would cry out to you, call out to you, that we would trust your plan. Lord, that we would think on the new heavens and the new earth. That we would just marvel and revel at that. God, I pray you would lift our eyes to you. Keep them fixed on you as we run this race that you've set before us. God, we love you. We need you. We lift up your name. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and empower us. God, we pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com. 